Thomas Merton once said, love is our true destiny. We do not find the meaning of life by ourselves alone. We find it with another. Welcome to the 51st episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because we need to remember God wants us to find our true selves not by turning inward, but in the act of loving another. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, are changes in our sleep, smoking, exercise, and alcohol to blame for the increase in mental health problems during COVID? A recent study in Australia seems to place the blame squarely there. The study was covered in SciPost.org. Quote, a total of 1,491 Australian adults took part in an online survey between April 9th and April 19th, 2020. At the time, significant social distancing was underway in Australia. Public gatherings were banned. Meetings with more than one person from another household were off limits and most schools were shut down. Participants were asked to indicate along a scale how their physical activities, sleeping habits, smoking habits, and alcohol intake had changed since the onset of the pandemic. Participants additionally completed a depression, anxiety, and stress scale and a measure of psychological distress. 49% of respondents indicated that their physical activity had dropped since the start of the pandemic. An additional 41% said their sleep quality had worsened and 27% reported an increase in alcohol consumption. Worryingly, the authors say, this report suggests that almost 30% of adults are drinking more to cope with psychological distress. I thought this was an important topic to bring up because it really underscores the importance of working hard to develop a wellness plan when things are going well so that we can start engaging in that plan when things start to go not so well. We can see the impact from the pandemic. Uh, it caught a lot of us off guard, right? And when we're caught off guard without a plan for coping with anxiety and stress when they go up, we usually turn toward less healthy coping skills, drinking more, smoking more, eating worse, and becoming sedentary. So if we ever catch a breath in the midst of this year, if things ever correct enough to where we're feeling like we've got a break from the anxiety and stress just for a bit, let's all sit down and write out some plans for healthy ways to cope when things get bad again. Things like remembering the importance of talking to others, finding ways to get involved in helping out, journaling to help maintain an accurate understanding of how we're doing and what's triggering us, finding ways to welcome humor into our lives, and taking time to have a time out from things that bring us stress. Things will get bad again for all of us in one way or another, and our hope lies in being ready. On to the next topic, how to handle bullying. Bullying is something that we've all either had to experience or at the very least been worried about, both as kids and as parents. And as my children move through elementary school and go into junior high, it's something that's high on my list of worries. How do I prepare my kids for facing a bully? Will my kids ever tell me if bullying is happening? How can I help encourage sharing about their feelings and experience? How can I truly teach my kids the importance of loving and accepting others when bullies exist? 
exist, right? So many questions can run through our heads as parents, and thankfully there are some answers to help start us down the right path. We'll share some wisdom from kidshealth.org. So we have to teach our kids how to identify bullying. Most kids have been teased by a sibling or a friend at some point, and it's not usually harmful when it's done in a playful, friendly, and mutual way, and both kids find it funny. But when teasing becomes hurtful, unkind, and constant, it crosses the line into bullying and needs to stop. Bullying is the intentional tormenting in physical, verbal, or psychological ways. It can range from hitting, shoving, name-calling, threats, and mocking to extorting money and possessions. Some kids bully by shunning others and spreading rumors about them. It's important to take bullying seriously and not just brush it off as something that kids have to, quote, tough out. The effects can be serious and affect kids' sense of safety and self-worth. So we have to learn the signs of bullying just in case our kids won't share their experience with us. Parents might not notice kid or might notice kids acting differently or seeming anxious or not eating or sleeping well or doing the things they usually do that they enjoy. When kids seem moodier or more easily upset than usual or when they start avoiding certain situations like taking the bus to school, it might be because of a bully. If you suspect bullying but your child is reluctant to open up, find opportunities to bring up the issue in a more roundabout way. For instance, you might see a situation on a TV show and use it as a conversation starter by asking, what do you think of this? Or what do you think that person should have done? This might lead to questions like, uh, have you ever seen this happen? Or have you ever experienced this? You might want to talk about any experiences you or another family member had at that age. And finally, we have to help our kids. If your child tells you about being bullied, listen calmly and offer comfort and support. Kids are often reluctant to tell adults about bullying because they feel embarrassed and ashamed that it's happening or worry their parents will be disappointed, upset, angry, reactive. Sometimes kids feel like it's their own fault, that if they'd looked different or acted different, it wouldn't be happening. Sometimes they're scared that the bully will find out that they told and it'll get worse. Others are worried that their parents won't believe them or won't do anything about it. Or kids worry that their parents will urge them to fight back when they're scared to do something like that. Praise your child for doing the right thing by talking to you about it. Remind your child that he or she isn't alone. A lot of people get bullied at some point. Emphasize that it's the bully who is behaving badly, not your child. Reassure your child that you will figure out what to do about it together. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm here to introduce you to Blessed Bartolo Longo. to a wealthy family in Italy back in 1841, Bartolo's father died when he was just 10 years old. While in college, studying to become a lawyer, Bartolo became connected to a group that was involved in witchcraft and occultism. This eventually led to him not only joining a satanic cult, but being ordained as a satanic priest. A 2017 article on Alatea.org by Meg Hunter Kilmer gives us some additional depth. Bartolo began attending seances, experimented with drugs, and even got involved in orgies. He lured people away from the Catholic faith, publicly ridiculing the church of his childhood. Before long, the newly minted lawyer was ordained a priest of Satan. As a satanic 
bishop intoned blasphemous words. The walls of the room shook, and disembodied screams terrified those in attendance. To say Bartolo was headed down the wrong path would be quite the understatement, and his mental health began to suffer as a result. He started to experience depression, anxiety, difficulty concentrating, and even paranoia. Suffering, he went to visit an old friend and ask for advice, and his friend responded in a way that cut Bartolo to the heart. Quote, do you want to die in an insane asylum and then be damned forever? Noting that if he continued down this path, it would lead to a complete and utter madness for him. This set Bartolo off on a journey toward a complete reversion to the Catholic faith. He even attended a seance and held up a miraculous medal while declaring, I renounce spiritualism because it is nothing but a maze of error and falsehood as a sign of leaving behind his old ways. And that brings us to a powerful quote from Bartolo, a sign that even a complete and total 180-degree conversion for a soon-to-be saint isn't enough to chase off scrupulosity. Quote, Despite my repentance, I thought, I am still consecrated to Satan, and I am still his slave and property as he awaits me in hell. As I pondered over my condition, I experienced a deep sense of despair and almost committed suicide. End quote. It's a blessing for me to know that our holy heroes struggled even after the moment when they understood their mission in this life. It helps me not only to relate to them, but also cope with my anxiety as I struggle to figure out how to leave behind my scrupulosity and grow in holiness. It means so much to me to know that those who are in heaven right this very moment struggled to rest comfortably in the promises of God. It gives me hope, it gives me confidence, and it gives me peace. We like to close this part of the podcast out with a prayer, and here's one composed by Bartolo himself. O blessed rosary of Mary, sweet chain which unites us to God, band of love which unites us to the angels, tower of salvation against the assaults of hell, safe port in our universal shipwreck, we will never abandon you. You will be our comfort in the hour of our death, yours our final kiss as life ebbs away, and the last word from our lips will be your sweet name. O Queen of the Rosary, O dearest Mother, O Refuge of Sinners, O Sovereign Consoler of the Afflicted, may you be everywhere blessed, today and always, on earth and in heaven. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter Therapy. Emily gets us started. Is there a spirituality that is more forgiving towards uh, those with mental illness, like Carmelites, Benedictines, etc.? Or maybe not even mental illness, but maybe doubt. I've uh, been in a really rough patch with my faith this summer, and I feel like I'm starting to emerge from the fog, but God is still very quiet, and I feel like I need some help to hear him. I have found that some of the more mainstream Catholic spirituality right now has more of a focus on being perfect and having no room for flaws or emotion and that's been really damaging to my faith. Let's join in a prayer together for Emily and for everyone struggling to find an openness to our emotion, flaws, and struggles within our Catholic faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Thank you so much for sending this question in, Emily. I think a lot of people feel the same way, and it breaks my heart to hear that the popular presentation of our faith 
feels like there's no room for flaws or emotions, because I really think that runs contrary to the faith handed down by Christ. I'm not exactly sure of a specific spirituality that would feel comfortable for you, only because I'm not an expert on all the various spiritualities in the church. But I will say that my understanding of the Catholic faith, what I read in scripture, what I discover through the writings of the saints, is the faith that you're hoping for. It sucks that this gets lost in the popular presentation, but let me share a couple things to show you where I'm coming from. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, St. Paul gives us this, Therefore, that I might not become too elated, a thorn in my flesh was given to me, an angel of Satan to beat me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I begged the Lord about this, that it might leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For power is made perfect in weakness. I will rather boast most gladly of my weakness in order that the power of Christ may dwell with me. Therefore, I am content with weakness for the sake of Christ, because uh, for when I am weak is then that I am strong. Before I unpack that, I want to share a quote from St. Therese of Lisieux that I think really gets at the heart of this teaching. Do not let your weakness make you unhappy. When in the morning we feel no courage or strength for the practice of virtue, it is really a grace. It is a time to lay the axe at the foot of the tree, relying on Jesus alone. So what I'm getting at here is the fact that our Catholic faith absolutely 100% recognizes our trials, our difficulties, our feelings of being weak, insecure, and never feeling good enough. And here's the thing. Our faith does not teach that we have to push all of that aside and fight on to live a perfect life without illness or suffering or blemish. Not at all. Instead, what's beautiful about our Catholic faith is that it recognizes our weakness, our illnesses, our insecurities, and it says, yes, this is the situation where God can be our strength. God can be our hope. And we can truly turn to God and say, well, I'm hopeless here, man. I don't know what to do, and I feel really awful. And that's precisely where God can step in. Imagine a saint as beloved and holy as St. Therese of Lisieux recognizing in that aforementioned quote that she had times when she would wake up in the morning and felt zero courage, zero strength for the practice of virtue. And what did she think about that experience? That it was actually a grace because it helped her to realize that God is where our strength lies, not within ourselves. One last thing, and I'm just going to completely leave it here without any comment. Jesus himself said this, Those who are well do not need a physician, but the sick do. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Ellen is up next. I've been barred for life from my Catholic parish due to emails sent to people at my church during my borderline personality disorder episodes. It's been two years. I need my parish and feel uncomfortable starting over at a new one. Nobody will talk to me over there. Uh, I've pled my case to the pastor. Uh, the few times I've bumped into people from my church, they say that they are afraid to talk to me or fear they will get barred as well. I've been really depressed about this, and I don't know how much more of this I can take. Can we please, please take a moment to pray for Ellen, that the Blessed Mother may come to her aid, bring peace to her heart, and foster a situation of forgiveness and reconciliation in our church and our world? Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. 
my heart breaks hearing this message that you sent me about your parish pushing you out. I can understand that there may have been some difficult times, but to think you wouldn't be welcomed back seems so unchristian and hurtful to me. Here's the main issue going on here. Most people in our culture and our church don't understand mental illness, don't understand personality disorders, and fail to see the impact that these have on our behaviors. Too often they ascribe blame to people who are acting in a way that is driven by their mental health experience. We have to push to create a church and a world where we better understand the difference between individuals and their mental health experiences that they're going through. I talk about this with family members at my work all the time. If we wanna maintain the hope for healthy relationships in the midst of mental illness, we have to remember that the behaviors that are causing us discomfort and stress are a result of the mental health experience. And if the person we love wasn't going through that experience, they certainly wouldn't choose to engage in those behaviors. I'm sure there were some uncomfortable things said in the email you sent, but it's fairly obvious that you have contrition for what occurred and that if you weren't walking through this difficult experience of borderline personality disorder, you wouldn't have said things in the same manner. And I'm so sorry that your parish has responded to your actions in this way. I understand how hard it would be to start looking at a new parish, but perhaps that's something you should pray about. And either way, please know that we're praying for you. Andy wraps us up. Have you covered dealing with parents divorcing as an adult? I'm figuring out what healthy anger looks like, especially with someone I would have gone to for help with these things. So that angle, maybe just the fracturing of one's safe spaces. So let's all start by praying for Andy and everyone working through the experience of parents divorcing and all the emotions that come along with that. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. It's a really difficult experience to grow up, become an adult, and become more fully aware of our parents' struggles, weaknesses, and shortcomings. And experiencing their divorce as an adult only compounds all of that. A website called The Chaos and The Clutter provides some feelings and thoughts that might resonate for you. This is a quote from them. For, for me, it brought up a lot of memories and emotions from my past. It also created some drama in the extended family, which I had to work hard not to get sucked into. I felt that one side of the family pulled away from me as uh, perhaps they felt that I had sided with one parent over another. And all of this caused a fair amount of harm for and hurt for me at the time. I found it challenging to keep my mouth shut and let this be their thing. I felt sad about some aspects and then again, relieved about others. I thought about how I was now statistically more at risk for divorcing myself and then felt guilty about thinking so selfishly. I worried about each of my parents in different ways. I had to be careful with what I said to whom. I heard things I wished I could unhear. I tried to support both of them and felt that I failed at it miserably. And then more guilt. I wondered if I was somehow the cause of their breakup. I felt silly for feeling things I thought only children whose parents were divorcing would feel. It was a hard time. That same website has some thoughts on uh, how best to cope with the experience that I think are really worth looking at here. So first, don't underestimate or dismiss the impact that this experience has on you. Just because you're no longer living in their home does not mean that your parents' separation will not affect you. Their marriage was a part of your foundation, and it's normal for you to feel shaken and unsure about things when it ends. It can even make you question some of your own values and truths. It's a big change, and it's normal to need to grieve. 
Next, find someone you can talk to who's not one of your parents <laughs> about your feelings. This is so important. While uh, you're not the one getting divorced, it does impact you. So finding someone that you can talk to about what you are going through is crucial. And it should be recommended probably that it's also not one of your siblings because they're likely going through their own form of grieving. And if you can share things with them, it could get back to one of your parents and cause extra drama. It's best to find someone more neutral, such as your spouse, a trusted friend, or a counselor to confide in and to vent on the hard days. Next, be sensitive to the situation. Communicate clearly about holidays and family get-togethers. Tread lightly when it comes to special occasions for the first while. Communication is your friend. Do not assume that just because there's always been a certain tradition, it will continue. Next up, set up clear boundaries. You are an adult and may well have a family of your own. It's your duty to protect that family. So it's perfectly acceptable for you to set up boundaries for what you will and will not allow in your home and into your life. Next, don't throw out the good with the bad. When parents divorce, it can bring into question the legitimacy of your childhood memories. It may taint those memories to learn what was really going on behind the scenes in your home. Don't let it. And last, find the good in each parent. Try to find the good in each of your parents. They each have their own set of strengths and weaknesses. Try to achieve a level of understanding of who they are based on how they were raised and their life challenges. To villainize one of your parents may be natural during something like this, but that can also cast a shadow on how you view yourself. And I know I said last, but, but really last, back to my own thoughts here. Pray, pray, pray. Pray for your parents. Pray for yourself. Pray for your family. And pray for the strength to be the light of Christ your family needs during this difficult time. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. And until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry, I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.